This is Casey Charles reading from the American Political Tradition, paragraph one. The men who drew up the Constitution in Philadelphia during the summer of 1787 had a vivid Calvinistic sense of human evil and damnation and believed with Hobbes that men are selfish and contentious. They were men of affairs, merchants, lawyers, planters, businessmen, speculators, and investors. Having seen human nature on display in the marketplace, the courtroom, the legislative chamber, and in every secret path and alleyway where wealth and power courted, they felt they knew was all in frailty. To them, a human being was an atom of self-interest. They did not believe in man, but they did believe in the power of a good political constitution to control him. So what this paragraph is saying is that while they do believe in evil and damnation and that all humans are damned as Calvinism states, um, they do believe that they could create a government which would redirect the actions and they could do this by creating laws and taxes which they would and they could also create a punishment system which would force people to create better choices in life paragraph 2 this may not be an abstract motion to ascribe the practical man but it follows a language that the fathers themselves used General Knox, for example, wrote in disgust to Washington after the Shays' Rebellion that Americans were, after all, men, actual men possessing all the turbulent passions belonging to that of an animal. Throughout the secret discussions at the Constitutional Convention, it was clear that the distrust of man was first and foremost a distrust of the common man and democratic rule. So if we take a side note, he mentions Shays' Rebellion, and this is important. Shays' Rebellion was the uprising in western Massachusetts in opposition to high taxes and stringent economic conditions. What happened was that they were, the government was taxing the people and they couldn't pay off their debt even though they served in the war and weren't being paid. So this rebellion showed um, the people that maybe they don't want an all-ruling government. So this kind of pushed for a more conservative national government which created problems at the convention because now you split into two parties, those who believed in a strong central government and those who believed in a smaller government. It also showed that the people can't be taken advantage of and it showed the common man, hey, we need to vote for something that's, well, not necessarily vote because it wasn't voted, votes weren't a thing yet, but they need to be able to have a government that's going to be able to support them not only economically, but not abuse them when they can't pay for their taxes. Paragraph 3. And yet there was another side to the picture. The fathers were intellectual heirs of 17th century English republicanism and with its opposition to arbitrary rule and faith in popular sovereignty. If they feared the advance of democracy, they also had misgivings about turning to the extreme right. Having recently experienced a bitter revolutionary struggle with an external power beyond their control, they were in no mood to follow Hobbes in the conclusions that any kind of government must be accepted in order to avert the anarchy and terror of the state of nature. What this last sentence means is that they couldn't just put any government and expect the people to follow it. They know that just having any government wouldn't create any type of control over the people. And they learned this from the past. This They saw it after how the monarchy treated them, which is why they revolted. And they also saw it after the English Civil War. So they knew that if they were going to create a type of government, it needed to be one that had to sit right in the middle, not too far left, but also not too far right, which would be able to maintain the people. 
Paragraph 4. Unwilling to turn their backs on republicanism, the fathers also wished to avoid violating the prejudice against of the people. Notwithstanding the oppression and injustice experienced among us from the democracy, said George Mason, the genius of the people is in the favor of it, and the genius of the people must be consulted. Mason admitted that we have been too democratic, but feared that we should incautiously run to the opposite side extreme. James Madison, who has quite rightfully been called the philosopher of the Constitution, told the delegates, It seems indispensable that the mass of citizens should not be without the voice, making laws which they are to obey, and in choosing the magistrates who are to administer them. James Wilson, an outstanding jurist of the age later appointed to the Supreme Court by Washington, said again and again that the ultimate power of the government must be necessity reside in the people. This father is commonly accepted to. If the government did not proceed from the people, from what other source could it legitimately come? To adopt any other premise not only would be inconsistent with everything they had said against the British rule in the past, but would open the gates to extreme concentration of power in the future. So the main purpose of this paragraph was to show that the fathers were acknowledging the fact that the power had to come from the people. If not, the government would not be able to serve the people. But they also didn't want to go too far left and too far right. They had to find a middle ground in order to accomplish this. In addition to that, they also believed that the people should be able to choose their representatives to create these laws and rules that they would ultimately abide by. Paragraph 5. If the masses were turbulent and unregenerated, and yet the government must be founded upon the suffrage and consent, what could a constitution maker do? One thing that the fathers did not propose to do because they thought impossible was to change the nature of man to conform with a more ideal system. They are inordinately confident that they knew what a man always had been and what he would always would be. The 18th century mind had great faith in the universals. So what they're saying in this is that they didn't believe that they could teach men and women, of course, morals. And this is a problem because they couldn't they shouldn't have been able to normalize certain things such as slavery which i believe is still which is still a thing at the time without this progressive mindset it could put the government back a little bit however just because it's the f beginning of the government it's okay because they're founding the government at this time however in the future they would need to have more progressive representatives Madison stated that devices should be necessary to control the abuse of the government, but first you must enable the government to control the governed, and in the next place oblige it to control itself. So what he's saying by this is that in order to prevent an abusive government, they have to have a method of overcoming that, which means that if the government is taking advantage of the people, they should be able to destroy it. However, they need to, if, to be able to accomplish this, they first have to be able to govern the people, which means get them to actually listen to the government. Without this, there would be no government to eventually overthrow. The Founding Fathers proposed a federated government, which would be able to maintain order against a popular uprising or majority rule. The second advantage would be that they would have a mechanism of representation, which means that the common man would be able to have a voice in the government. And the third advantage of the government was that each element should be given to its own house of the legislator, and over both houses there should be a set of capable, strong, and impartial executive armed with the veto power. 
This split assembly would contain itself within an organic check that would be capable of self-control under the governance of executive. The whole system has been capped by an independent judiciary. The inevitable tendency of the rich and the poor to plunder each other would be kept in hand. By enacting these three laws, they would have a just government, which would not only voice the concerns of the people, but they would prevent like another civil war, and they would also be able to maintain that power was not being abused. Often we hear the Founding Fathers and we link that to our liberties or the Bill of Rights. And the Bill of Rights basically assures 10 different freedoms. Some of these freedoms include the freedom of religion, freedom of speech and press, jury trial, due process, and protection from unreasonable speeches, searches, and seizures. But people they didn't protect at the time were slaves and indentured servants. And this is because slavery at the time was seen as something as an organic structure, which meant that it was supposed to be done. They didn't recognize the fact that those who were slaves were also people. And the second people they didn't protect was also indentured servants. They believed they had no business um, bothering or investigating with indentured servants, so they also wouldn't be protected under these rights. However, America had another problem when it came to money. They were belittled by other countries and they couldn't escape the irregularity of currencies or the wars that broke out from different states trading. At the time, there was also a lot of people in the government who owned lands or were big landowners and they didn't want to be taken advantage of, meaning that they didn't just let anyone sit on their property for free, which is another form of taking advantage of the people under capitalism. Their founding fathers also said, that the interests and rights of every class should be duly represented and understood by public councils. So what they're saying again is that they have to have representation by the public in order to support the public. As historians look back over how the founding fathers treated the founding government, they believe a lot of people were selfish when it came to creating it, as in they didn't give rights to slaves or indentured servants, and a lot of them were just motivated by capitalism not to be taken advantage of and allow people to live on lands and this includes the indians or anyone who really couldn't afford the homes once again indentured servants who had just moved over and weren't able to afford a life here and they had to go into almost a form of slavery which they owed time in their life however at the same time the founding fathers were cautious when creating the government and this government has been able to progress and it still needs amendments, but at least we're getting there now.